0: Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good Shabbos to everyone. You know, one of the benefits that you've had in your remarkable career, and, and frankly one of the things I'm jealous of, is the um, is the interaction you've had with real, authentic Jewish leaders over all these decades. You have seen leaders and you've seen them in really tense and difficult situations. You've seen them in relaxed situations. And I would imagine that in your list of those who you've met and interacted with, the two that we lost this past uh, Shabbos, uh, Friday and Shabbos, David Feinstein and Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the chief rabbi, I would imagine that they are very high on your list when it comes to respect for Jewish leadership hundred percent uh,
1: and they were very different people, but had common values and common traits. Um, I mean, I don't know there was a greater on of uh, Rob Feinstein and something that he inherited it as well. Um, and Rabbi Sachs' uh, ability to communicate to every kind of audience possible. And to interpolate our mesora, our heritage to to them, but to non-Jews as well. I, I can't tell you how many of them during the week said to me, uh, started talking about him and saying how they've read his his books and he, wow, and how many people he influenced and standing up in the House of Lords as he did on anti-Semitism, uh, both great losses for our community and don't replace them easily
0: you know i i pointed this out um uh, in the article that i wrote and uh, COVID 19 has only reinforced this that uh when there's a void in leadership um uh, irresponsible leadership often sneaks in often uh, fills that void and that's something that we have to be wary of we really have to be concerned about both in leadership roles and as regular people We gotta... for short sure term
1: though in most cases that people ultimately see through it and you know you can fool some of the people some of the time but you can't, ultimately people know and realize that they, they, there is the trend of the day and the person of the day that they go after or somebody who gives expression to some particular concern, but they realize that it's a dead-end road, that, that these were people who whose leadership sustained over so many years because of the qualities that they espoused, because of the of the kind of people they were and the messages that they brought us.
0: Yeah, and what I want to point out is that, and we and we said this, by the way, you, you said it, and of course I agreed when, when Rabbi Sachs, uh, when it was announced that he was ill, that there was something about knowing that in any situation where you were and in any situation where he was, if he opened his mouth, you knew it would only be to the benefit of the Jewish people. It would be done with tremendous respect, admiration, right. A, a, a genuine uh, respect for colleagues, both secular and religious. And there's a comfort to that. There's a comfort when Jews around the world know that there's a representative who every time he opens his mouth, we can be proud of what he's saying. And and frankly, uh, when it comes to a Gadol Hadar, like by Feinstein, I think the same thing can be said. There are people mm-hmm. who might be upset with certain psak, They might be upset with certain decisions that are made, but you know you are getting an objective well-thought-out, responsible decision. And when you see the way the world reacted, both Jew and non-Jew alike, to his passing in this area of I'm New York wait. of New York City, then uh, you, know, you know that's 100% true. Anyway, Jewish leadership is such an important topic, and thank God we've had some role models to really emulate, and I hope the next generation picks up on it and understands how important a role it is as we move forward. Speaking of leadership, is there anything that you can uh, tell us that will shed light on what's happening with the leadership in Washington, D.C.? Uh, some of the news outlets are saying that the president's um, efforts are starting to really fall apart and that everybody, including he, uh, are going to have to realize that Joe Biden's the next president of the United States. Do you think we're finally heading in that direction?
1: Well, it appears to be by the certification, but the, the president's lawsuits, I think, certainly Pennsylvania, will go forward. And it's, it, I think there's an advantage not in sustaining this, the campaign, but in clarifying these things so that for the next four years you don't have it hanging over. And the accusation, I don't think, will go away that, the, that there were uh, bipartisans on either side. But... You know, once an election, by the time we get to January 20th, I hope everything will be resolved and everybody will be in the right place. And you see that uh, President-elect Biden, uh, as he is known, is uh, um, moving ahead with appointments and with the transition. And, you know, we will, we will have another government, whatever it will be on January 20th. But that we also see that Congress is clarifying, and it's all come down to what I said last week, which is Georgia yeah. and the two seats there. And for you know the implications are are really vast. That if one party controls all three houses, you know it's a very different circumstance than when you have the division, when there's checks and balances more in place. Um, sometimes it can be an obstacle, but more often I think it's it's a check on reality. The, the um, but in this case you have a separation of two seats and. Even if it's 51-49 and people say, well, that's not a margin, et cetera, it does affect who gets to be the chairman of committees, that whoever has the 51 gets to appoint all the chairpeople and the majority of the seats on the key committees. And if it's 50-50, it means then that uh, the vice president come, uh, will, will um, cast the deciding vote. So in this case, it's likely to be Kamala Harris, so it comes fifty, fifty-one, fifty. 50 So people have to understand what the importance of these elections, and I assume we're going to see $100 million, $200 million poured into Georgia for this campaign.
0: And people from other states pouring into Georgia?
1: Everybody pouring into it, both to take and to give, and uh, and um, but I hope the divisiveness and those things can can stop. I mean, you see uh, some of the things that the the, the mood and atmosphere. I think people are tired, um, concerned. They have legitimate concerns about where we're headed and what will be done. Uh, Thank God we we have some hope with uh, with COVID, but there are new strains that come up and. Nobody knows yet, we're, you know, much of the world is going into another lockdown, period. And even here in, in America, you have a, a million new cases. It's, um, hey. you know, we have real challenges. And so, and for the, to meet them, we have to really come together. I know it's a slogan that people use after every election, but, you know, we're not going we're going to go into an easy period and you have a lot of decisions to be made. Whether it's about Iran or whether it's about the other global challenges, but most importantly, the I think the domestic agenda will take
0: priority. I think it's a um, I, I think I I'm getting the impression that things are a bit calmer. Uh, maybe I'm just ignoring the rhetoric, the post-election rhetoric. So. No, I think
1: you're right. I, yeah. I think you're right, and a lot of the expectation of violence after the election from one side or the other did not materialize. I think in part the police sent the right message when they arrested people the night before. Um, and, you know, sent it clearly that we're, they weren't going to tolerate what happened the last time with the looting and the uh, destruction. Uh, so, but it, it doesn't mean it's all passed. When the final decision right. is announced, we'll, we'll see what happens, uh, depending upon what uh, the decision is.
0: For those of us who are, um, who, who are not as familiar with, with the procedures when it comes to Washington, can you sum up why committee chairmanships are so vital? Is there an example you can give us? of what could happen down the road if one party or another party or one responsible or irresponsible uh, chairperson you know, leads a committee? Yes.
1: We've had many, many examples that the people who are more favorable, or less favorable, let's say, towards Israel, and you chair the Appropriations Committee or you Foreign Relations Committee or Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, both the House and the Senate, it's true because they also control the agenda to a large degree, about what each of the committees consider and the timing of it, they appoint the, the majority party appoints the majority of members on committees, which obviously can make a difference. And you know, the the um, depending upon the cooperative uh, nature of the, that particular committee with the people involved, can determine whether they are able actually to move things forward. But the major being in in the majority. Carries a lot of weight, and you know whether the speaker or the majority leader are of one party or another. They set the, uh, much of the agenda. You see what Mitch McConnell, you see what Nancy Pelosi, you see Chuck Schumer, even the minority leaders. Um, minority leaders, though, don't have the impact when it comes really to the bottom line. It's the majority party representative that uh, really sets the timing, agendas, often the content.
0: And I know there are a lot of Democrats in this audience, which is fine, but we do have to acknowledge the fact that they're now members of the Democratic Party. And in, in, in the world of payback and the world of rewarding those who've moved the party forward, if you call that forward, uh, it, you, you never know who could end up with a chairmanship like that. So those out there in Georgia, and we actually do have an audience down there, um, You know, think carefully. Uh, we won't endorse anybody or, 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 or urge anybody to vote a certain way, but uh, think carefully because... Uh, I think Malcolm's point is uh, is so vital and so important. Speaking of elections, by the way, and now that the perception is that BB's weaker because Biden won, and you could tell us if you agree with that or not. Uh, the rumor is that Benny Gantz could, in fact, call for new elections with the uh, with the atmosphere being the way it is. A lot of BB. Um, stuff going on, demonstrations regarding COVID, etc. And of course this now what looks like more of a strained relationship coming up with the United States. What do you think of that?
1: Well, the relationship will be what it is, no matter who's the prime minister. There are tensions with the Democratic Party, over still, that they go back to his speech to Congress, et cetera. But, I, look, the relationship, the fundamentals of the relationship are strong, certainly with members of Congress. The the, the, the numbers are very strong. Um, we will have some new committee chairs, as from what we discussed before, who maybe uh, are not going to be the same as what we had. Uh, and some of them are, in fact, reputed not to be very favorable, but... Overall, Congress will be. The administration will be, uh, and the U.S.-Israel relationship was never bound by individuals or by parties. And I think that the interest in the region really continued to to press us to expand the relationship. And you know, the new dynamic in the relationship will, in the Middle East will continue. I think it might even get stronger if, if parties uh, look at Israel as the you know the more stable ally, as a reliable ally, and. Have, uh, questions about future policy or Iran on anything else
0: is Benny Gantz uh, gonna call for new elections
1: so so Benny if Benny Gantz calls for new elections is only if he thinks that he can win right now I don't see the numbers yet for him winning I see a very divisive outcome you know Bennett has gone up in the polls and then others show Bibi up and then he could be uh, the, the, he, together It depends if he coalesces with other groups Will they put the old blue and white together again but you know, it would be over a budget crisis, which automatically brings the government down if they can't get the budget in time. Um, but when you have the crisis they have with with COVID, when you have the economic implications, which are very straining on the country, when you have all of the issues that Israel faces, and you know. While we're all focused on the election, for instance, the Iran issue has exploded. You know, they've they found to have had 12 times the amount of enriched uranium that they were allowed to have, 12 times. Um, and they say they're not ready to reopen real discussions or real negotiations. They just want a complete capitulation on the part of the United States, we see that they admit to the um, uh, cyber warfare that they conducted against Israel, water against all sorts of other things in Israel and and around the world. We see that the the aspirations don't change in terms of their uh, involvement um, in uh, their nuclear program and missile program, and all of the other things are advancing. So. And they and the violation, by the way, it's still, you know, a lot of this stuff is based on the documentation that Israel got out of um, out of Iran that's still driving a lot of the IAEA's uh, announcements and research. But we find that there are new facilities. We know that they're uh, putting in more modern centrifuges. So Iran, regionally and locally, is this direct to Israel but to the whole region. And I think that... Will drive countries to to still want to coalesce with yeah. this is around the process.
0: There's there's speculation that the uh, that the Begin doctrine is going to be cited and that the Israel will take action, preemptive action against Iran before Trump leaves, specifically with that timetable in mind. What do you think?
1: I think that you know we shouldn't speculate about such serious issues because it has very big implications. Um, there is very good reason. To, to think that and to think about that, but the, the, uh, and the and the aggressiveness in which Iran and Turkey and others are moving in the region, the changes that are taking place. The fact is that the American presence and the alliance with Israel is really critical and the growing reorientation of the region, both the Mediterranean and the Gulf, and even the Quad in, in the Indo-Pacific, with the, which nobody talks about, but it's very important. India, Australia, Japan, and America, which was organized by the United States, and then what we're trying to link the three up, it could change the map, and the opportunities are there to do it. So I hope that no matter what the administration, you know, when they look at the new ballistic missiles that Iran has just uh, unveiled, which have carry multiple warheads, and the new automated and smart systems uh, involved in, in that the IRGC manufactures, and the. Um, and the fact that we see that Iran was involved in the Facebook uh, organizing of the anti-Netanyahu protests, and there's direct proof they found 12 Facebook accounts, uh, 307 Instagram accounts. I don't know, remember the whole list of, of all the things that they found that uh, that tie into it. So, you know, th- this is a real challenge, and whether the Begin Doctrine or the BB Doctrine or something else will... Will dictate, but it's the situation on the ground that will determine what the
0: next steps will be. Do you think that uh, the COVID situation is going to affect uh, that situation uh, in a in a strong manner? Meaning that uh, under normal circumstances, if there's such a thing as normal, uh, BB might take this action and may you know go ahead with a preemptive strike. But because of what's happening at home with COVID and the situation that's going on, it, it, it might deter him from doing so.
1: Look, I think no prime minister will undertake lightly uh, a move against uh, Iran, although Israel has taken a lot of measures and others, uh, and you see no retaliation because I think Iran understands what the price will be. That's why they revert to the cyber attack. They try to do it anonymously, but now they even go open and public and and feel that they can um, get away with it, which is – important thing to consider as we examine the whole region uh i mean what's happening in the region and the attitudes and the feeling that maybe that they'll be able to get away with things the united states is going to introduce many more sanctions i think in the last two months of the administration i think a lot of those executive orders will be undone uh, as they've said but i think the, the the you can't rush into negotiations because you really don't have a partner ronda has not indicated that it's Ready. everything that they've said is that they're not ready to to engage in all of this um and even said that we have no regard for what biden's advisors say no one can talk about the jcpoa and, and open it up again what a sign to sign so I don't think we have a, a, a willing partner. What we have to look at is all the things that have taken place on the ground in, in this time, that the, the the realigning of alliances, the conflict situations um, spreading from, you know, what's happening in northern Sinai to what's happening in Syria near the Golan, to what's happening in Libya and Karabakh where you have a, a ceasefire agreement, but it was Russia that negotiated it, and brought the parties together and gets the credit.
0: All right, It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, and the web at NahumSiegel.com and the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Can you, uh, can you confirm or deny this rumor that uh, the President of the United States has gone ahead and uh, taken away all restrictions to authorize Jonathan Pollard to leave the United States and go to Israel?
1: Well, it's been something speculated about all week. There were reports that yes and no. Uh, uh, they themselves have said they have not heard. Um, I think that it, it is the, the, the um, there is a deadline that it has to be re extended, meaning that the, somebody has, the president has to re extend the restrictions on. Uh, Mr. Pollard. Uh, I hope and we all hope and impress uh, that they, they will not, this is ridiculous, that he wants to go to Israel and live a quiet life, you see he's almost invisible, he's not violated any of the understandings that they had his, uh, for his parole. I think it's, it's such an injustice um, and hopefully they will finally just allow those restrictions to end, that he and his wife can go and live in Israel. Uh, and, you know, finish their income, and, and live out their lives in peace and as they certainly are entitled to spend it, paid a heavy price already.
0: Do we know when that deadline is? I think it's next week. Oh, so literally the President of the United States can ignore it. And in that case, that would the be. Coming it. days. Right. Yeah. Will there be a $23 billion arms sale to the UAE? Yes, there will be, likely. I think
1: the Congress is going to want to review it. I know there are many senators who have reservations. Uh, they're going to want to know that the QME, meaning Israel's quality military edge, uh, will be maintained. It seems Netanyahu is satisfied that it will be, and Gantz has expressed it. Uh, there's no opposition, it seems, in Israel to it. It's a huge deal. It's not just the F-35s, the 50, which is uh, something would have been unthinkable two years ago but because of all that's happened and the realignments in in the region um and at 10 billion dollars in supplemental weapons and other things uh again it's a long period to look at delivery uh, of the planes even if it doesn't start for a couple of years five years or so um but the concern always is that they fall in the wrong hands whether they be used there's you know those who are not happy with human rights records other things in in countries when we sell arms but uh, my expectation is that it will go through
0: so the uae is becoming a, a military powerhouse in the middle east well it always
1: has been you know we have a big air force base which i i visited there uh, uae is um continuing to move ahead you know the the flights that took place the first of the tourist groups uh, landed there this week the um um, UAE is removing the visa requirements with visits with Israel. They're both ne- they're negotiating. It's now three hours, you know, to fly from Israel. Yeah. there, And the overflights to the east are taking place, which is very important for Israel, both Sudan and over the Gulf. Um, so we see that, um, you know, that the prime minister of Bahrain uh, passed away. He, he, he's actually been, he's the world's longest serving prime minister, which is why I mention it because he's since the country's independence in seventy one um, he served as the prime minister and now the Crown prince mm. has been appointed to take his place, which means that there'll be continuity there as well in terms of the policy. Uh, so this is um, you know, we, we have to send strong messages to Iran. There are many people who who are concerned about the sale. The fact that the the prime minister and others in Israel have come out as they have, uh, you know, will diminish those
0: expressions. Well, the new administration put an end to those strong messages to Iran. I asked that because of the speculation. I think it was in a Jerusalem Post article that now we know that, you know, at the top of the list, when the UAE and Bahrain and all these countries uh, were coming forward in terms of peace agreements, treaties with Israel— Uh, We know at the top of the list was Saudi Arabia, and we still, you know, await to see what will happen. Uh, Now, it seems, at least based on what I read, that uh, with a Biden administration, there's going to be a U.S. choice of Saudi Arabia versus Iran. And as they get friendlier with Iran, which is possible, we've seen Democratic uh, um, administrations behave in that manner recently, uh, Saudi Arabia could be marginalized. And, of course, if the opposite would happen, then the Iranians would be. Do you see uh, this type of... uh, of struggle between friendship with Saudi Arabia and friendship with Iran coming up?
1: Uh, I think friendship is the wrong word when we talk about Iran. Do I see the possibility that they will renegotiate or seek to renegotiate, even though the Iranians said they won't, the JCPOA? Yes, that's something that uh, Vice President Biden has said all along is his intent. Um, but he said that they want to redo it, not just not eliminate it. The The Iranians say they're not going to renegotiate it. I think Iran's aspirations in the region really dictate that there's no friendship in the offing. It goes against their very raison d'etre. They mobilize the people who hate this regime and who demonstrate against the regime by organizing against the United States, against Israel, against Saudi Arabia, Uh, not because it's for. The economy is in ruins. At uh, I, I, the sanctions, the maximum pressure does work in terms of the economy. It has had an impact. Did it eliminate the danger? No, I pointed out that they uh, they are now 12 times the limit. They have about double the rich uranium than they reported in August. Um, so the threat of Iran remains. And I think that the Saudi-U.S. relationship, even though there are sore points in it and there are mem- members of Congress who are highly critical and human rights on other grounds, the fact is that Saudi Arabia is a vital ally for us. I do believe the process will continue. I think that the vice president has said that. Others have said it. Certainly there, there is a dynamic to it. It's not solely dependent on the United States, but as in the case with Sudan, U.S. played a critical role in, in enabling it to happen. Uh, but there is a dynamic that um, countries will, uh, you know, are, who are on the path, I think, will continue, hopefully with the support of of uh, Washington, of both sides of the aisle, in and the administration. Because it's, it's, it is the most critical thing, I think, that happened in a long time in terms of trying to stabilize the region and helping countries like Egypt and others as well. well
0: but in Saudi Arabia's case, I get it that Israel, you know, in, in theory could have made a deal with the UAE and the U.S. could have been, you know, a, a casual observer. I get that. When it comes to Saudi Arabia, the impression is that in order for Israel to have a similar type of relationship, the U.S. has to be much more involved. Is that wrong?
1: The United States has to be much more involved
0: in... In this in, this, in this, um, shidduch. That the Between US,
1: Saudi Arabia and Israel. Yeah,
0: that they have to uh. take a much more active role. And that's why I wonder if the U.S. does warm up... Okay, friendship's the wrong word, but you get my point. Does warm up more in the next administration to Iran, is that going to scare Saudi Arabia off from dealing with the U.S. in any capacity? It no, may
1: scare them into it. If, if they feel that there's weakening there, as one leader in the Gulf, or more than one, I should say, told me... When we visited it over the last couple of years, you know, Israel's our only hope against the enemy. They don't rely on the West often, and it doesn't matter the administration because going back to Biden, to, to Bush, to this administration, you know, there's been this sense of withdrawal. Right. We have reduced uh, our troop commitments and other
0: things. So, that being the case, why is there today not an agreement yet with Saudi Arabia and Israel? If, if that's the case and they realize it's because Israel's...
1: there are you know Saudi Arabia is a very different society it's much more conservative it's a different kind of population structure than the UAE which always you know 80% or 90% of people in the UAE are uh, are not emiratis they're foreigners and there is much more of an openness um and the traditional society, I know the king is very reluctant. I think MBS, his son, is much more assertive, and I've discussed it with him, so I know a little bit about what his thinking is. Uh, he certainly wants to open up the country. Many of them are looking at the post-oil era, knowing that this is not something they can rely on for the generations to come. Mm. So they want to broaden their societies. They, they see the model in Israel as the high-tech nation and talk about wanting to benefit and to share and to work together with Israelis on it. But you see also the, the breakdown. you know that that the foreign ministry of uh, of Israel reported that um, uh, so many people in the Arab world, from of course from Morocco to to Yemen, thousands of them sent the foreign ministry Arabic messages of support and in some cases even, putting their, um, their copies of their passport, which is a very courageous thing to do. Wow. So there are changes. I'm not saying it's it's going to flip and can things go back. Yes, they can always go back. Uh, we know that a, a bullet can change a government in, in the Middle East. Um, but the, the, uh, the fact that the polls show such a, a positive atmosphere relative to the past for towards the normalization everywhere but in the PA that the um, I, I think that the more they see the benefits and that's why I'm hoping a lot of this cooperative deals will go ahead so that everybody sees how much they can benefit from uh, working together.
0: By the way back to the vaccine for a moment uh, I mean I see that uh, the prime minister's made a deal with one of the uh, medical companies about uh, pharmaceutical companies about a vaccine I mean I, I assume the only way you can make a deal is you have full confidence that their vaccine will work, right? I mean, like, is this a deal that would let them move forward in developing it and hoping that it works in the end? Or is there definitive information already that they're on the right track?
1: Well, they say that there is, uh, the, that the testing has indicated that uh, that this thing works in 90% of the cases. Um, and the problem is that the the, the virus mutates you know, you know, have that new strain from um, in Denmark about the, the minks coming from minks. And um, some Israelis who visited Denmark have tested for positively for that on their return. Oh, yeah. So this is a, a mysterious virus. But, yes, we have something on the horizon that could benefit many people. Uh, Israel, especially for those most vulnerable, uh, pushed to get. Um, you know, early on in the in the lineup from Pfizer, then, you know, Pfizer does cooperate with a lot of companies in Israel on developments of drugs and pharmaceuticals. Uh, the CEO, uh, who is a Greek Jew, uh, came under fire on, on in an anti-Semitic Greek publication where they put pictures of him with Goebbel and other things and, of course, attacking him. Uh, so you know there will be worldwide competition for, for the drugs. I think people may some may be hesitant, uh, but uh, you know it's very important. There are other drugs still under development. Hopefully, we will come up with a variety of solutions. This is we've got to put a stop to this. The the economic impacts, the oh personal impacts.
0: You know we close uh, people I'm sorry.
1: and now and in and, and by the way, younger people dying. And I understand that the new strain affects younger people. More than the old strains did, which are really you know, were disproportionately impacting people over sixty, sixty-five, you know, elderly people over ninety, but not as youngsters. Um, but you know, this one it seems is different.
0: We closed the schools on Friday the thirteenth of March. Today is Friday the thirteenth of November. Eight months already. Wow! I don't know how much more people can make it. I'm not just talking economically. I think it's starting to affect people in in other ways as well. And I really hope and pray, whether it's in Israel or the United States, that these pharmaceutical companies develop a vaccine that, that works, works well, and that can be distributed pretty quickly. Because people already are, you know, trying to make plans for 2021, Malcolm. And already I noticed that there is no plan that anyone is ready to embark on before Pesach and they're already concerned about the summer. It's November. People are thinking that their summer may be maybe down the tubes. It's a it's really Absolutely right.
1: And and I've heard it, and we were involved with discussions obviously that we we travel. I this is the longest period in fifty years that I haven't traveled, I haven't been to Israel. I hope that people will realize it'll make them reset. To realize how important Israel is to them, the fact that we can't go, how much people miss it, and my children, my grandchildren even raise it that and they, you know, they feel it. They know that we haven't been there, and maybe it will heighten the, the appreciation and for our schools, for our institutions that we haven't been able to do it. That that could be the positive side of it. I'm very worried about the day after assessing the, the condition of a lot of the institutions, the financial circumstances and implications. I know that um, half the business in New York say it won't be back until the summer of 21. Wow. So it's it's um, it's difficult. By the way, before, I, I just wanted to mention, because I don't want people only to get the bad news, the Dutch Senate voted that Holland can't go along in the UN with the resolutions that declare the Temple Mount, Hammer Sharif, and do not acknowledge the Jewish uh, uh, historical connection uh, to it, and think of it from Holland, which has been often awful in many instances, and in, even in their votes at the UN, that this resolution had passed like 50 to 25, I think was the margin, and the uh, other story was the um, how the Dutch Protestant Church came around and acknowledged the failings to Jews in World War II and issued uh, an apology saying they hoped that their admission, and a detailed admission, wasn't too late, and they they talked about the recognizing the false and feeling a uh, responsibility. Anti-Semitism is a sin against God and against people. And they said that the Protestant Church is part of this sinful history. You know, it's light. it can't undo the damage that was done. But I think you know when you look at the fact that uh, more than a hundred thousand Dutch Jews, which is three quarters of the population, did not survive World War II, and too often there was collaboration on the part even of, of Dutch citizens. Uh, that the, uh, these kind of acknowledgments are very important in the week of uh, Kristallnacht.
0: No question about it. 83 years since Kristallnacht, as we mentioned on Monday, and very important, these reminders. Finally, I know we have uh, just a minute, but but I, p- people are demanding, I ask, and I think they're right. Is there, As we read about building permits in Ramat Shlomo and other things happening in, in Judea and Samaria, I mean... Is the prime minister going to try to accelerate things before Trump leaves office to get certain things done that he fears may not be able to be done under the uh, uh, guise of a uh, Biden administration?
1: I I think that could be expected that the um, that the well, it's it. to, to uh, implement things that this administration has already acknowledged, meaning the, that uh, they can do deals with uni- Ariel University, for instance, in the West Bank, and that uh, government programs can apply to uh, across the green line, which is a change that the administration implemented a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago. Uh, I think you can fully expect it. I don't think that they're going to want to do things that are provocative, or, you know, the, you know, the administration's policies will be different. There's no doubt that, that there will be changes. Uh, I don't think they're not going to undo the embassy in Jerusalem, they're not going to move it back to Tel Aviv, they're not going to undo other uh, decisions. And I think that, you know, they have so many uh, executive orders and other things that they uh, plan to undo on the first day uh, <laughs> that uh, oh, you know, hopefully I do know when they'll get to this.
0: Yeah, hopefully yeah. those will make it through without a problem. And Saab Erekat is gone. And am I right that his uh, demise happened in an Israeli hospital?
1: It did, and it points up the hypocrisy. Um, You know, many people extolled him, even Israelis who negotiated with him, you know, that he was the only one who continued and believed in the peace, et cetera. This is a guy who told the Palestinians not to go to Israeli hospitals to boycott it. And yet when he got sick, (laughs) like the other leadership, both in Hamas and in, in Fatah, when they get sick or their families, then they put them in Israeli hospitals. But they otherwise, they engage in the boycotts and the, the ridiculous uh, things. And now we see that, by the way, the PA trying to bypass things like the Taylor Force Act and the cutoff of, of aid because of the money they give to terrorists. They've decided now to make all the terrorists government employees so that they're paying this to them as a stipend as a government employee. They even want to create their own national bank to be a vehicle to bypass the Israeli banks or others uh, and, and the scrutiny that uh, comes with it. So if you're thinking that they're going to reform and going to make changes, that isn't in the offings as far as we can see now.
0: Mr. Homeline, I thank you. We'll speak next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos.
1: Have a great Shabbos and a great Chodesh. And, we should, and coming up to Hanukkah, so we should <laughs> be upbeat and see the light.
0: One month away from the big holiday that everybody loves. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday's weekly update here at JM in the AM.